Good morning. This is the word of the Lord as it comes to you from 2 Samuel chapter 15. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way towards all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. This is the word of God. Thank you, Ingrid. My name is Adam. If uh, we haven't met, I'm part of the team here and it's wonderful to be together this morning and to open up God's word. This morning we'll be looking at this story in 2 Samuel, and in this story we see King David plunged into a time of trouble. 
He finds himself in a time of difficulty, of opposition and suffering. And I wonder if you can think back on a time in your life when you found yourself in trouble. Maybe, as I did this week, maybe you're thinking about times in school. Times when you got in trouble. Now, I actually had a few stories that I was going to share with you uh, this morning, but then I thought, let's just keep up the mirage that I'm a a good, well-behaved pastor. Maybe you have some stories from when you were a child at home getting in trouble. Or maybe you think back to a a time when you went through something that was particularly difficult. Maybe it was a relationship breakdown. Maybe the loss of a job. Maybe an empty bank account. Maybe a life-changing diagnosis. Maybe you're going through a time of trouble right now. I know that many of you are. There's something happening in your life that, if you're honest, it's knocked you around. The truth is, we all go through times of trouble in life. One author, she puts it this way. She says, we are either going through a hard time, we have just been through a hard time, or we are about to go through a hard time. You might say, that's not very positive. No, I am positive. Positive, you are, or you have, or you are about to go through a hard time. Whatever it is, sooner or later, we will all face trouble in this life. And so the question is, how do we respond? How do we deal with troubles and hard times when we go through them? Now this is an incredibly important question. Because the Bible says to us that troubles can actually make or break our faith. We read in the letter that James wrote in the New Testament in chapter 1, he said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, who keeps going, who doesn't give up. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I'm not saying we have to be fearful of trouble in life because God has promised to be faithful in the midst of our troubles. But we do have to be prepared for trouble so that when we go through difficulties, when we go through hard times, we don't walk away. We don't give up. And today, we are going to see how David, King David, dealt with trouble in his life. We see the way that he responds to it, the way he handles it, and it has some incredibly important lessons for you and me. Now, if you've been around for a little while, you know that we're in uh, a sermon series through the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. We're actually coming to the end of the series. Next week is the, the final week in this series. And really, it's been a wild ride so far. I mean, in the first half of the series, we saw the greatness of David. He's kind, he's humble, he loves God. We saw the incredible promise that God made to David to give him an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that is fulfilled in Jesus. But in the last few weeks, the wheels have begun to fall off. David committed sexual assault and murder. Now he confessed his sin, he repented, and he was forgiven by God, but there were still consequences for his sin. God said to him in chapter 12, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. 
And this is what we see play out in chapters 13 to 19. Last week, we saw the fallout among David's children. We saw David's daughter raped by her half-brother. That half-brother murdered by another brother, and then that brother on the run. I mean, by the end of chapter 13, David's family was in tatters. I mean, you think your family is dysfunctional. This is just next level. And in chapters 15 to 19, which is the part of the story we're looking at today, it gets worse for David. Because Absalom, the son who was on the run, who was exiled, he returns to Jerusalem. And he has not come to make peace with David. He has come to steal the throne from David. He wants to be king and he doesn't want to wait until David dies. In fact, he wants to speed up the process a little bit. And so today, David goes into a time of deep trouble and we see how he responds to it and it has some important lessons for you and for me. So let's turn our attention to this story now and and I just want to ask two simple questions of this story. The, The same two questions that we asked last week. Number one, what happens? And then number two, what can we learn from it? So let's begin by looking at what happens. Now the story begins with the focus on Absalom. And as I've mentioned, Absalom was the oldest surviving son of David and apparently he was also a really good-looking dude. Look at what we read in chapter 14. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Wow. Pretty good-looking dude. And apparently, he also had long, flowing locks. Verse 26 tells us he had incredibly long hair. In other words, he was kind of like a Jewish Fabio. Oh, I meant to put a photo of Fabio on the screen, not Nathaniel, but he wishes. Now... Why would the author give us this detail? Why does this matter? Well, if you've been paying attention, this should remind you of King Saul. Do you remember how King Saul was described? Incredibly tall, incredibly handsome, no one like him in all of Israel. But King Saul was also a failed king. He disobeyed God. He was beautiful on the outside, but ugly on the inside. And we're going to see the same thing is true of Absalom. And we see this in what he does next because he's back in Jerusalem and he has come up with a plan to steal the throne from David. Verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. So he comes up with his own presidential motorcade. He wants people to think that he's a big deal, that he's impressive. He wants to have the look of power and royalty. It's all about impressing the people of Israel. This is also why we read in verse 2, he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. And as people would come into Jerusalem, they're coming to see the king. They're coming to present their case to him. And Absalom would greet them. He'd bow down low and he'd kiss them and he'd say to them, look, Your claims are valid and proper. You have a great case. But there is no representative of the king to hear you. 
In other words, you're not going to get justice from this king. He doesn't really care about you. And you have such a great case. If I was king, you would get justice from me. Absalom is the perfect politician. He's handsome. He's good-looking. He's out there shaking hands, kissing babies, and making outrageous promises. And it's easy to make promises when you're in the opposition, isn't it? We see the result, though, of all of his scheming. This goes on for four years. And we see the result in verse 6. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom steals the hearts of the people because he wants to steal the throne of his father. And now that he's laid the groundwork, now that he's won the loyalty of the people, he launches into phase two. And he uses worship as a cover for his conspiracy. He goes to David and he says to him, David, when I was on the, or dad, when I was on the run from you, I made a promise to the Lord that if I came back to Jerusalem, I would go to Hebron and I would make sacrifices to God there. Now, Hebron was Absalom's hometown, and it was also a significant city because that was where David was anointed king of Judah. It's the perfect place to launch a rebellion from. And this is what Absalom does. He sends messengers throughout Israel, and he tells them at the sound of the trumpet to declare Absalom is king in Hebron. He goes public. He launches his coup. But unbeknownst to David, Absalom has already landed a significantly devastating blow. We read in verse 12, while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counsellor. Now, that might not sound like a big deal to you, but this was David's most trusted counsellor. And apparently, his advice was like hearing from God himself. Look at what we read in verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 23. Now, the advice of Ahithophel, the advice Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. This is David's most wise, most trusted counselor, and he was a relative of David. This is, most scholars believe, Bathsheba's grandfather. He is part of David's inner circle, one of David's right-hand men, and he has betrayed David. This is kind of like Judas. Judas, of course, was one of Jesus' disciples, part of Jesus' inner ring, and he betrayed Jesus. And interestingly, later in the story, when, spoiler alert, it goes bad for Absalom, Ahithophel commits suicide, just like Judas did. But here in this moment, this is a devastating blow for David. And we read in verse 13, finally David is told what has happened. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Now at this stage, David is around 60 years old. Now I don't mean to suggest anything, but in that day and age, that was an old man. People didn't live quite as long as they did today. And so David decides not to stay and fight, he flees Jerusalem. Maybe he doesn't think he can win a war with his son. Maybe he just wants to spare Jerusalem from a violent siege. And so the king, King David, flees the city of David. This is a shocking moment. This is the great hero of Israel. It's their celebrated warrior. But he is now weak, abandoned, and forced into exile again. 
See, this isn't the first time that David has been forced to flee into the wilderness, is it? Remember earlier in the story, King Saul chased him into the wilderness. There is a sense of deja vu about this story. There is also a sense of incredible sadness. Verse 30, David continued up the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives should make you think of another king who also went to the Mount of Olives on a dark day. Do you remember Jesus? The night before he went to the cross with his followers cries out to God in a moment of sorrow, in a time of distress. Well, David here is in trouble. It's a dark day, and he's going up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too, and were weeping as they went up. This is a dark, dark day for David. It looks like his kingdom has come to an end. It looks like God's promises have failed. And so how will David respond? What will he do? Well, I want to turn to the second question, and that is, what can we learn from this story? Because in the events that happen next, we see David's response to his troubles, and we learn some important lessons about how we can respond to trouble. I want to highlight three. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. When we go through trouble... We must trust in the sovereignty of God. Now, to put it very simply, the sovereignty of God means that God is completely in charge of his world, that he is reigning and ruling over all things, that he is steering all things to his desired end. Now, to be honest, we find it easy to believe this truth when the sun is shining and life is good. But when trouble comes, when dark clouds descend in our life, we find it very difficult to believe this truth. And this is why we can learn from David. Because when David finds himself in trouble, he continues to trust in the sovereignty of God. In fact, when David is marching out of Jerusalem, he is accompanied by Zadok and the other priests. And they are carrying with them the ark of God. Now remember, the ark of God is the symbol of God's presence. Now, David has learnt by now not to treat the ark of God as a good luck charm. And so when they get to the edge of the city, David says to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favour in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Do you hear what David is saying here? I know that I'm being thrown out of the city. I know that I'm most likely going to lose my throne. I I know that I might even lose my life. But I submit myself to God. I submit myself to his will. I'm not going to try and manipulate God by taking the ark with me. I will entrust myself to the sovereignty of God. Now let me ask you, do you live your life like that? When you go through times of trouble, do you turn to God? Do you trust him? You know, I read a story this week about a man named John Bunyan. You might have heard of him before. John Bunyan was a pastor in the 1600s. And when he was 32 years of age, my age, he was locked up for preaching about Jesus. And he was put in prison and he remained there for 12 years. 
In the article I read, this, the author writes, for 12 years, he would sleep on a straw mat in a cold cell. For 12 years, he would wake up away from his wife and four young children. For 12 years, he would wait for release, or if not, exile or execution. Now, I cannot imagine the pain that John Bunyan went through, being separated from his family. And yet, he did not give up. In fact, it was in that prison cell that John Bunyan began to write a book about a pilgrim called Christian. And that book went on to become, for over two centuries, the best-selling book written in the English language, The Pilgrim's Progress. And it is still widely read to this day. You see, he trusted the sovereignty of God in the midst of incredible trouble. And I know that you have many of your own stories about trusting in the sovereignty of God in the midst of your troubles, not giving up, showing up to church, keep on trusting God. And this is what we can learn from the life of King David. When trouble came into his life, he didn't rage at God and turn away from him. He placed his trust in the sovereignty of God. In fact, while David was on the run, he wrote Psalm 3. Listen to what we read in Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Now these words were not written in the comfort of the palace. These words were written in the pain of the wilderness. Because when he went through trouble, David entrusted himself to the sovereign care of God. That's the first lesson we learn from this story. And the second is this. When trouble comes into our lives, we must trust the sovereignty of God. And secondly, we must rely on the people of God. Now, as David is marching out of the city, there are a number of different groups that actually go with him. And among these groups, there's a, a group of foreigners called the Gittites. And the leader of this group is a man named Ittai the Gittite, which I just think is a cool name. And when they get to the edge of the city, David tries to persuade Ittai to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. David essentially says to him, it's not your fight, it's not your battle. Go home, save yourself. I don't even know where I'm going. But Ittai responds, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. Now this man is a foreigner, but he's become a worshipper of God. And he recognizes that King David is God's chosen king. And so he swears an oath to him to stay with him to the bitter end. This man is, as one commentator says, an island of loyalty in a sea of treachery. I mean, what an encouragement this man must have been to David. And this is how God comforts and supports us as well, by surrounding us with his people. God sends other Christians into our lives to support us, to encourage us, to lift our heads, to renew our hope. And this is what the church community is to be all about. We are, in the words of Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to bear one another's burdens. 
We had to be like porters. Do you know what a porter does? You show up to your hotel and they stand there ready to relieve you of your baggage. When we see that a brother or sister in Christ is weary and burdened by their troubles, we're to come alongside them and say, can I carry that for you? Can I help you with that? Can I give this to you? Can I do this for you? We have to bear one another's burdens. Because this is what Jesus has done for us, and so we do it for one another. So let me ask you, when you go through trouble, do you press into the people of God, or do you pull away? God has given us one another so that we can bear one another's burdens. And when you see someone weary and burdened by by troubles, do you come alongside them and help them? Lift their baggage and their burdens where you can. When we go through trouble, we must trust in the sovereignty of God. We must rely on the people of God. And thirdly and finally, we must rest in the deliverance of God. Now maybe you're wondering, well Adam, what happens? I mean, who wins the war? Who ends up on the throne? Well, to cut a long story short, the army of Absalom and the men of David, they end up coming together, meeting in battle in the forest of Ephraim. Now, David is persuaded by his generals to stay behind, but Absalom leads his army into battle, and in the chaos of the battle, as Absalom is riding his mule through the forest, he ends up getting his head caught between two branches on an oak tree, and the mule kind of runs out from underneath him, and he's stuck hanging there on this tree. Some of David's men come across Joab in this state. They, go to, they come across Absalom in this state. They go to tell Joab, the general of David's army. Now, David had told his generals before they went to battle to be gentle with Absalom, his son. But Joab ignores David's command. I mean, to, to Joab, though he is the king's son, Absalom is a usurper. He's a rebel and he deserves to die. So Joab comes up to Absalom and he thrusts three spears into his chest. And the dead body of Absalom is then hastily buried in a pit and there's stones and rocks put over the top. And the rebellion of Absalom is ended. Now when David is told what has happened, he's not relieved, he's not happy, he is overcome with grief at the death of his son. Some of the most moving words in the Bible, Oh my son Absalom! My son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. O Absalom, my son, my son. Now the death of Absalom, it actually paints us a picture of two important truths. And the first is this, it is a picture of what awaits all those who oppose God's king. I mean, Absalom set himself against God's chosen king, King David, and it ended in death. To set yourself against God and against his true king, King Jesus, it will also end in destruction. Now this is an unpleasant truth, but it's a necessary one. Do you remember the warning of Psalm 2 that we looked at in the first week of this series? God said, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. This is not a pleasant truth, but it is a necessary one. 
as is the second truth that we learn from the death of Absalom. Because the death of Absalom is also a picture of what God's king has done for us. It points us to the death of Jesus, the true son of David. I mean, Absalom died hanging on a tree with a spear shoved in his side, and then he was buried in a tomb with rocks put over the top. Now, Jesus Christ died hanging on a tree, the wooden cross. He had a spear shoved into his side, and then he was buried in a tomb with a stone rolled over the door. But there is a key difference between these two men. See, Absalom was guilty, while Jesus was innocent. Absalom died for his own sin. Jesus died for our sin. Absalom died in rebellion against his father, and Jesus died in willing submission to his father. Because Jesus Christ is God's true king. And in Jesus, we can find refuge from our ultimate trouble. Psalm 2 ends, that psalm where there's a warning in it, it ends by saying, blessed are all who take refuge in him, in Jesus. So let me ask you, how do you respond when you go through trouble? Do you know that Jesus has endured the ultimate trouble for you? Do you know the truth of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? On the cross, Jesus had the ultimate dark clouds descend on him. The dark clouds of God's wrath on our sin. And they descended on Jesus so that they would never descend on you and me. And when we know this, we can trust in God's sovereignty. We can rely on God's people and we can rest in God's deliverance. You know, Jesus once said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I don't know what trouble you've gone through. I don't know what trouble you might be going through right now. But here's what I do know. That Jesus Christ on the cross endured the ultimate trouble for you. So that when you turn to him and when you come to him, you can have a future that is certain to be free from trouble. You have a future that is filled with hope because God himself waits to receive you and redeem you. So let's turn to Jesus and take heart. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there are many of us in this room right now that are walking through trouble. We are walking through dark and deep valleys. And Lord, help us to see the hope that we have in Jesus. That though we have trouble in this world, Jesus has overcome this world. And he holds out the offer to us of life with you, God, both now and forever, of a future that is free from trouble. No more tears, no more crying, no more death. And so, Lord, this morning, in whatever it is that we're walking through, we want to turn to you. We want to place all our hope, all our trust in you and in your King, King Jesus.
the one who endured the ultimate trouble on the cross so that we never would. Oh Lord, let that truth sink deeply into our hearts so that when we walk through deep, dark valleys, we can trust in your sovereignty, we can rely on your people, and we can rest in your deliverance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand to hear this blessing from God's word before we sing together? The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them because they take refuge in him. Amen. Christ is my reward It's all of my devotion Now there's nothing in this world That could ever satisfy Everything I need